short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. The American people, I think, is good people. They are. They have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. Yeah, I think we need to. I need to redo that opening and take out mm-hmm. all of the uh, quotes, um, and uh, just replace them with Trump quotes like this. <laughs> it's the level of stupidity is incredible. I'm telling you, I used to use the word incompetent. Now I just call them stupid. I went to an Ivy League school. I'm very highly educated. I know words. I have the best words. I have the. But there's no better word than stupid. Um, Smooth. Of course. Uh, drunk uncle. Yeah, well, shit. Drunk, crazy motherfucker. Um, it's uh, episode 68 of The Cobble Show. And this week, uh, we're recording this, uh, the first week of January 2018. Happy New Year, Ray. And to you. Thank you. Fingers crossed we actually get see the end of this year. Uh, of course, a couple of days ago... <laughs> Uh, uh, Kim, President Kim of North Korea, um, who, who, he who does not poop, uh, <laughs> tweeted this thing or, or gave a speech or something, I don't know, said he had a nuclear button on his desk. Donald Trump oh, yeah. tweeted back saying that he has a nuclear button too on his desk, but it's a bigger nuclear button <laughs> and his actually works. Oh, God. Um, we are literally seeing the end of the world play out on Twitter in front of us. Right. And, um, of course, anyone who knows anything about how America's nuclear uh, weapons work knows that there's no fucking button on his desk. I don't know about North Korea. I'm <laughs> suspecting there's not a button in North Korea either. But right. there's no fucking button, Donald. I like, as uh, Stephen Colbert said, you know, you should be, if you're going to play Minds Bigger Than Yours games, you should be comparing the size of your missile not a button. A button is a lady part. Yeah. Ladies have buttons. <laughs> As in, Donald can't find the button. Kind of no. Thing. No, his wife could tell you all about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. yeah. Yeah. Anywho, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I just, I was preparing my notes last night for the Cold War show, and I'm thinking, here we are talking about Cold War stuff that have, you know, I remember when we started this show. When did we start this show? <laughs> a year ago? <laughs> Two Something years like ago, that. two year, two two little bit maybe. I have no idea. Eighteen months. I don't know. But we started this show one one day, yeah, and with the premise that, and you know, I, I expected this to be highly controversial. That the Cold War never really ended; it just right. changed yeah. dynamics a little bit. Here we are, the beginning of 2018, with another Cold War uh, between Trump and Kim threatening each other with nuclear weapons. And I did not expect that that would be the result of this show. Look, I knew this show was going to be huge, particularly in China, uh, but I didn't. I didn't know that we were going to cause another cold war. So, for that, listeners, dear listeners, I would like to apologise. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can't, can't like to apologize. Uh, and the, what we can do is we can have two sh- Cold War shows running together, one about uh, East and West and then one about Trump and and the little guy. So I, I say we both do both at the same time because if we wait too long, we yeah. might not be here on this planet to do it later. Well, I mean, what are we doing this for then? The only reason to do this is so 30 years from now. Oh, oh, right, 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 right. Fox and, and and your children will be able to go, I wonder who my dad was, and they'll be able to go back yeah. and listen to this stuff and go, eh. yeah. my kids will go, well, my dad was funny. Your kids will go, really? That's, what What did he do still? I don't know. I've got no idea. Um, speaking of chicks, I don't know if you've seen it. You know, uh, Michael Wolf, who's a great author. I've read a couple of Michael Wolf's books over the years. He had a great book on... Uh, Rupert Murdoch that I read and uh, a couple of others, can't even remember. He's got this, he's the one coming up with this new book about Trump, the Fast and the Furious. No, the Power of Fire (laughs) and Fury or something. Anyway, it's about Trump's first year in the White House. Um, I read an excerpt from it this morning where (laughs) apparently uh, Trump's favorite pastime is trying to fuck his friend's wives. And Mm. according to Michael Wolf in the book, the way that he goes about it is. He uh, uh, would would speak to the wife and go, you know, your husband's, you know, your husband's probably not what he makes out to be. And then he would invite the husband into his office at Trump Tower. And as soon as the guy gets in, Trump would start saying, so is your wife a good fuck? Have you had better? Honestly, just tell me. Just two guys talking. You had better fucks? Who, are you fucking anyone else at the moment? Locker room talk. Uh, Yeah, locker room. You you grabbed anyone by the pussy? Listen, I tell you what, I got some girls flying in from Las Vegas at three o'clock. Why don't we just go upstairs and fuck their brains out? And he'd be doing all this while he had the wife secretly on speakerphone on his desk just to try and entrap their fuck. husbands and so he could then fuck the, his friends' wives. So that is your president. Yep. Oh, God. Yep. <laughs> anyway, that's not this show. I, you know, no. we... we you know, we, we, we have to record the bullshit filter next week and we finished our yeah. gun control series and we've talked about doing something on Trump and I'm kind of glad that we didn't do it before because now this book's coming out. Oh, yeah. And this book's going to have so fun. many great stories in it that I think we need to wait till that comes out next week and then we can read that. And So I don't know what we're going to do next week for the bullshit filler, but anyway, enough, enough Trump talk. Let's get back to Clement Attlee, Mr. Churchill, as he now is, no longer Prime Minister Churchill, and the rest right. of the gang at Potsdam, yeah. July 1945. We've got a few really big episodes we're going to record today. They're huge. They're really big. People have told me they're amazing. Um, So we finished up last time, episode 67, with the uh, election in the United Kingdom. Shocking Mm -hmm. result. Stunning result. It was huge. Uh, Clement Attlee, of course, in the Labor Party, won very handily. Everyone expected Churchill to win. And the, the the shockwaves for this went right around the world, including, obviously, the, the people still at Potsdam waiting right. for Churchill and Anthony Eden to get back. Now, I had assumed, Ray, I don't know about you, but I had assumed yeah. that Stalin would have been reasonably happy with this outcome. A, didn't like Churchill much. B, the new guys are socialists. They're the Labor Party. In fact... You know, Churchill said they were pro-Soviet during his campaign, so you would have think Stalin would be like, you beauty, now it's two against yeah. one, motherfuckers. Me and my homies from London town, the yeah. uh, United Soviet 
London coming over. We're going to gang up on this Truman bitch. But uh, that wasn't the case. Stalin, apparently, not a big fan of either Attlee or, as it turns out, the British Labour Party. Yeah. I, I thought that was interesting as well. Yeah, they're both left-leaning. Left I mean, what's not to love? However, uh, they come from very different backgrounds. Obviously, Stalin, uh, uh, you know, he had to, he had to rise up. Um, Attlee is a stripe who, – who, who called him a stripe pants um, – so something, but basically he's from the upper class as well. So there's not a lot in common. Um, but these two, even though their general politics aligned, there, there was just a lot they didn't like about each other. They both um, agreed to help, wanted to help Spain in the Spanish Civil War, but for their own reasons. Um, but it, what, it, what it came down to was that um, neither side liked the other one's economic systems. But as far as Stalin, as far as Stalin was concerned, better the devil you know, Churchill, than the devil you don't know. And as you stressed on the last show, hardly anybody knew anything about Attlee. The Americans kept spelling his name wrong. They knew so little about him. I would have thought that Stalin would have known a lot. I mean, surely his spies in the UK would have had dossiers, portfolios on the top socialists in the United Kingdom. But uh, yeah, he didn't like him anyway. Whether I think, by the way, I think the striped pants comment was something Truman said about Anthony mm. Eden, not oh, about right. Attlee. But uh, we'll get right. into what he thought about Attlee a bit later. Um, yeah, and, and I think from Stalin's perspective, the British Labour Party was just another capitalist, imperialist yeah. uh, organisation. It's a bit, bit the same way I and some other people like me view the Democrats in America or the mm -hmm. Labour Party in Australia or the Labour Party in the United Kingdom now. It's What, what did George Carlin famously say there's only one political party in America and it has two factions or two divisions or yeah. two wings of it. It's all They're all the capitalist parties. They're just uh, slightly different, you know, slightly different shades of uh, green they're painted. Right. Um, and I think Stalin probably had the same view. He didn't see them as revolutionary, socialist revolutionaries like himself, they were just imperialists. And, of course, Attlee, despite his uh, working, you know, semi-working-class background, he wasn't a blue blood like uh, right. Churchill. He had gone to the good schools and he spoke with an upper-class accent. So uh, he, was, he, was, he was just another, yeah. another member of the uh, imperialist division. Um, Attlee, on the other hand, wrote, I knew from experience that the communists had always fought us more vigorously than the Tories because they thought we offered a viable alternative to communism. They regarded the Tories as advocates of a dying cause while they thought right. we were a rival. So that's interesting. I, yeah. No, I, th I thought it was interesting that um, uh, we've said in other shows that Stalin... Um, obviously prepared a long time for these conferences. He had a lot of information from the Cambridge Five and various spies from all over the world. So he would sit down with um, Beria, and they would work out strategies. And now suddenly there's this new player in there. And um, it doesn't really change Britain's positions on a lot of things. They are the weakest link of the three. But again, Stalin prepares uh, very, very well for these things, pretty much like Caesar did before a campaign. But now some of his notes aren't applicable in a specific sense because 
because Churchill's no longer sitting across the chair from him, the table from him, even though everybody got bored to tears when Churchill would speak. Uh, but again, it is a change for Stalin. And when when Churchill and um, Attlee and them go back to London for the election, Churchill, uh, excuse me, Stalin's going to go back into seclusion and get ready for the next round. So again, he's taking this very seriously. But again, it is a change for him. Uh, not that it changes Britain's policies too much, but again, personalities matter at the conference table. You are the weakest link. Goodbye. Um, yeah, I uh, was interested in some of the British views uh, at the time of Churchill's departure. Yeah. Alexander Cadogan called Churchill's defeat a display of base ingratitude on part of the British people, and rather humiliating for our country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's such a uh, such an upper class view. Like, this is the thing about these these people who claim to be Democrats. Um, I've had a few uh, discussions with some people on our Life of Caesar Facebook page in recent weeks about the United Nations. Um, mm-hmm. You know, these people are like I fucking love democracy until people vote the other way, and then they go the Oh, fuck this democracy. <laughs> How dare you? What base ingratitude. Right. Yeah. I, I was looking at some YouTube videos about the election, and, and like we said before, not only were the people generally sure that um, Attlee would do a better job as far as helping the common man out in Britain after the war, a lot of people um, commented that just Churchill just looked old. It's like in some people, uh, you get the sense we're trying to do him a favor by getting him out of office, taking the pressure off of him. I'm sure that was a much smaller percentage than the people who wanted to make sure that the Labor Party was in so to have someone look after their interests after the war. But I think generally some people, in some ways, it was a sympathy vote. Get He, he, he had saved our country. Let's get him out of there. He's he's earned a break. But either way, they're still voting for the other guy. <laughs> what? Where did you get that from? The sympathy vote idea. That didn't yeah, come no, up in anything a, I read. No, it was oh uh, shit. I can't remember some some interview with someone uh, on YouTube. They were just talking to the general public, and they were just saying that he looked very old and very tired. And that you know he had done his bit for king and country, queen and country, or whatever. And now it was. Uh, King of country at the time, and now it was it was time to retire, even if he didn't want to. <laughs> right. Uh, Field Marshal Alan Brooke uh, basically said he thought that uh, the election was just one more thing in a long line of Churchill's fuck-ups when it came to domestic politics. <laughs> but this is one that could have potentially catastrophic repercussions. He wrote in his diary... What a ghastly mistake to start elections at this point of the world's history. May God forgive England for it. He went on blaming Churchill, saying, If only Winston had followed any advice, he would have been in at any rate till the end of the year. Um, And he also, in his diary, sort of made the point that, as we mentioned before, Churchill counted on his personality and his personal popularity to carry the election, just as he thought his personality could win over Truman and Stalin, but according to Brooke, and he failed on both (laughs) cults. I don't know why I'm doing my Prince Charles accent for Alan Brooke. He probably sounded nothing like this. I would like to be your tampon and (laughs) and have you stick me up your pussy. No. 
Camilla. <laughs> yes, I had that bitch ex-wife of mine murdered. Of course I did. I'm the fucking prince. I will she, be on the throne one day. No one will stop me. But yeah, it's not going to happen for him. She's fucking an Egyptian for fuck's sake. Uh, anyway. Have we all? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Churchill kept thinking. <laughs> Churchill... You know, the way that Churchill is viewed today as this, mm-hmm. you know, I heard, I heard Gary Oldman in an interview recently talk, call Churchill the greatest Briton who ever lived. I was like, mm-hmm. fucking what? Mm-hmm. Like, not, <laughs> not, not Shakespeare? Hello? Or, or, or yeah. t- you know, Turing, Alan Turing maybe? Or right. <laughs> Churchill, really? This whole mythology about Churchill... Um, which is, I think, developed after he retired and wrote his his later right. books and went out and gave speeches and obviously hired Barry and Stan's PR department to, <laughs> to build him up. Certainly wasn't the view of the majority of people who actually knew Churchill. They were like, oh, what a fucking tired old windbag. <laughs> uh, but he thought that the view that the, the general public has of him today is how he saw himself Back then, he thought he was just this fucking genius and everyone would just be in awe. A bit like me at parties, really. Honestly, if I'm going to be honest, it's a bit bit like me going, oh, let me tell you a fucking story. Oh, do I have some stories? That's what people are going to find out. Turn the music off. Cam's talking. People are going to find out when they come to our Europe tour this year. It's just going to be Cam telling stories. For three weeks, except like Donald Trump, apparently, they'll go, you realise that's the fourth time you've told that story in the last half hour. <laughs> I don't care. Is it? Yeah, I love, love the sound of my own voice. I'm going to tell that <laughs> story good. again. Yeah, I want you to laugh harder. You didn't laugh hard enough last time. <laughs> going to keep telling it until, until you get it right. Until you, until you laugh hard, <laughs> like Ray does. Like, sure. particularly, particularly, this is what I like about the fact that you're editing uh, the shows now because yeah. you 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 <laughs> So the, 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 the two channels are out of sync. Well, what was I listening to yesterday that was out of sync? Fucking uh, something you just did. I think it was the Tiberius episode where you start right. laughing before I say something funny even. And I'm like, yeah, I know. That's because it annoyed I me at first. it's going to be funny. It annoyed me at first. Funny. And I thought, Ray right. is so fucking in comedy, can't even, like, just get the two channels <laughs> in sync. And then after a while I thought, no, no, I kind of like this. This is Ray... You know, laughing even before I tell a joke now. Just uh, yeah, number fact, one I th- fan. I could save I mean, myself. I think I could save myself a lot of money just by editing the Ray laugh track and just putting that on the as your thing. Just like That's it'll just it'll go up, up and down in waves. <laughs> giggle, giggle, <laughs> and oh. Anyway, where were we? Churchill. Yes. Anyway, so Churchill. You. you I'm sure you know the famous saying that Churchill said, history will be kind to me for I intend to write it. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. And then that's when he was able to remake himself with uh, Barry and Stan. And and like you said, it worked brilliantly because now he is beloved and he is thought of as a, a as the warrior who never quits. Yeah, the great man of the 20th yeah. century. Yeah. Um, now, some people... Uh, uh-huh. after the election, apparently tried to tell Churchill that the British people hadn't rejected him personally. They love no. Winston. They love you. Fucking love you. Not yeah. as much as people will love you 70 years from now, granted. But, yeah. you know, they didn't know you. They won't have known you. But they, they love you. But it wasn't a rejection of you. It was a rejection of the Conservative Party in general. 
Right. But the uh, actual voting data doesn't back that up. The the Tories actually performed worse in districts where Churchill himself had campaigned. Uh, (laughs) Went around flashing the V for victory and uh, they said, fuck you. And uh, yeah, he he wasn't. I don't know. I mean... I've got. I read parts of his uh, memoirs as well about this. I don't think. Well, I mean, I don't think there's any sh- secret to it apart from what we covered in the Atley episode. People were just they wanted to change. They wanted. Yeah. The he the, the they never voted for him in the first place, but they were happy for him to have the job, uh, and and he did a good job keeping their spirits up during the war. I'm not trying to take that away from uh, him at all. He was very eloquent. Great speeches. Little bulldog, all that kind of stuff, good stuff. Right. No problem with that at all. But he wasn't the right guy to fix the country after the war because he was an arrogant, blue blood aristocrat. And the people didn't want that. They wanted someone who actually gave a shit, you know, which they thought would be Atlee. Absolutely. But but the, the key thing is, um, as great as a wartime leader as he was, the war is over. The the whole Japanese thing, that's an American problem. Maybe the Russians, I don't know, we'll see. But the point is, the war is over. Thank you for everything you've done. But now that we're going to, going to begin to get back to a normal life, we want a normal politician. That's not you. That's someone like Atlee. Thank you very much for your service. Oh, I don't think it's fair to say it was an American problem. The Americans weren't the only ones fighting the fucking Japanese. What? <laughs> no, no. I mean, yeah, you fucking Aussies, but come on. We're the ones who had, you know, a whole bunch of ships and, and thousands of men. And No, y'all are helping, and there were some Indians in there as well. But as far as naval power, as far as air power, it was an American theater. <laughs> right, but it wasn't. Only there, there were others. There were some freaking Aussies. Yes. <laughs> what about what? What about the three million British soldiers that were in Burma, motherfucker? Yeah. What were they doing? Well, we were taking <laughs> island after island after island after island. No, I just, I'm just fucking. Oh, fucking Americans! <laughs> fucking, it, fucking it was Americans! Led. Uh, yeah, no, obviously those uh, three million British troops on the mainland weren't going to be able to do anything to do, uh, threaten the home islands. And there was 1.8 million Japanese on the mainland um, running around uh, China kicking ass and taking names. So, uh, yeah. So, But the point is, uh, the point I was trying to make was the people back home in voting in Britain – they could relax a little bit because this, you know, America's closing in on the Japanese home islands, and so they can elect someone other than a wartime leader. That was my point. So those 207,000 uh, Allied soldiers that uh, were killed in the Burma campaign, they don't count for nothing in your book. That's, that's nothing. No. Not, not important. Didn't, no. contribute, didn't contribute anything to, to the war against Japan. Fuck me. American That's exceptionalism, fine. ladies and gentlemen. Yes, at its finest. At its finest. <clears throat> Clementine. Not Clementine. Let me edit that out. Yeah, yeah. Like, I've noticed that. Don't think I haven't. <laughs> don't think I haven't noticed how you are selectively editing the shows out to make yourself sound I got better. The power. Yeah. Mm. Except mm. I have mm. my copy of the original. 
And at okay. some point, I'm going to put together a compilation show. Oh, so, look, this is, this is actually this what is... happened, and this is how <laughs> Ray edited it. <laughs> it's all That's, about spin, baby. It's all that, about spin. That is going to be a super premium <laughs> episode. People are going to have to pay good money for that. But, uh, yeah, yeah. The, you're like I Churchill. Hope. You're like Churchill. <laughs> History will look favorably upon me in these podcasts because I intend to edit them. <laughs> hey, I hired Barry and Stan. It was a little expensive, but I've got some really good advice. Yeah. Pricing. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, where were we? I picked it up straight away listening to the one of the fucking Renaissance shows. I was like, I said, I stopped it. I said to Chrissy, holy shit. Ray has just edited this whole section, and I know what happened in the show, and he's fucking edited yeah. himself out. Yeah. Not going, I don't know, I didn't read it. Fucking hell. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, I was yeah. I gotta I gotta admit, I was actually impressed that you had that much now. So I was like, oh, I didn't think Ray was smart enough to edit the shows to make himself look better, and he did. Oh, uh, I, I, I tipped my I tipped my hat to you, sir. I did. Yeah. I went, I tipped my hat to you, sir. Well done. Well done. Well record, played. But I can I can edit the fuck out of things. Well played, sir. Well played. <laughs> 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 my estima- my estimation of you went up just a little bit. <laughs> Peace. That's my new saying. I'm gonna I'm gonna finish every podcast with a Peace. I'm holding up two fingers. You can't see it, but it, you know it's for the effect. Anyway, where was I? Clementine, not Clementine Attlee, but Clementine Churchill, said to Winston after the election, "It may well be a blessing in disguise." At the moment, said Churchill, it seems quite effectively disguised. <laughs> um, and that, I think, is the last chance I'm going to have in a long time to do my Churchill impersonation. Thank Aww. you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm out. Uh, I would like to submit myself for the Oscars. Um, now, Attlee, of course, thought the result had more to do with the economic policies of the Tories in the 30s and their right. appeasement of Hitler. Nothing Churchill could personally be blamed for, but uh, I'm, you know, I'm sure for Churchill that none of, none of those explanations yeah. or just or excuses or justifications would have uh, would have would have helped. He uh, just would have felt like, well, fuck, okay, sorry, Could take the sting out, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like Thank you, but yeah. it's like. You've been working hard to be a good husband. You, you know, you 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 working two jobs. You, you're working yeah. at, uh, at, uh, at, uh, at at let's I don't know. Let's just make something up at a medical clinic during the day as a secretary, and uh, you know, recording podcasts on top of that. Um, you don't do any work, but you know, you, you you're there. You turn up, up for it. Show up. Yeah. Um, you know, you mow the lawn, you kill the snakes, uh, you fix things around the house. You, you're doing your bit. You're trying to be a good husband, and yeah. then you find out your wife's fucking a big black dude called D'Angelo anyway. You're like, really? Like, what do I have to do? You're a good father to half of your kids. Um, you're like... <laughs> to the lighter-skinned ones. I mean, what? Uh, what are we going to do? Yeah, so that's you can relate to how Churchill felt, man. It's I'm, yeah, devastated. Yeah. So he returned to Downing Street for one last meeting as Prime Minister, um, 
And he had a meeting with Anthony Eden there. He told Eden that he expected that his, that is Churchill's political career might be in an end, but that Eden himself would one day return to Downing Street as Prime Minister. Um, and Eden wrote that Churchill looked like a pretty wretched poor old boy. Um, oh, Churchill told oh. Eden that losing the election was like a wound which becomes more painful after the first shock. So that was actually my last Churchill impersonator. Not the first one. That was the penultimate. Well, we got the Europe tour. The penult. Well, fuck. Oh, I'm going to do the whole Europe tour as Churchill. Um, but that that was the final church. So thank you. Yeah. So I take my final yeah. bows. There we go. Now. There we go. Yeah. But as you as you were mentioning earlier, Eden is not exactly keen. Um, he's got he's got some other stuff he's got to deal with. So it's not like he's looking forward to jumping into this uh, both feet. He's got you know he had the stomach was it stomach cancer a stomach ulcer. His son had died, so he had some he had some stuff at home uh, to take care of. Now the British government. Took away Churchill's bodyguards. It's not like being a president where you get him there. Like, oh, what, what was that? You lost. Fucking all right, everybody pack up. We're out. Everybody with a gun, go home. <clears throat> Walter Brown, an American who was at Potsdam, uh, wrote that the empire he had saved did not think enough of him to keep a guard for a single night after he had been defeated. It's democracy. I'm sure those guards... I'm sure those guards, too, were like, thank fuck we don't need to listen to his bullshit anymore. Oh, my! can you imagine? Like, it'd be like being Trump's body. Can you imagine being one of Trump's Secret Service guys? Having to, having to stand around him all day, all night, seven days a week, with your face impassive, you can't even roll yeah. your eyes when you hear the same fucking story for the 100th time that day and you can't even go, oh, fuck <laughs> it, will you? Like, I'm sure they must just be tempted to pull a gun and shoot him in the back of the head. I, I'm saying that's how it's going down. He's going down Praetorian yeah. guard style, man. One of his bodyguards <laughs> is just going to lose his I shit. Can't take it. Yeah, yeah. It'll be a murder-suicide because he's, you know, well, he, well, he might be, he might get a reward, he might be a hero, but um, yeah, yeah. I think, I think what'll happen is one of Trump's secret servers will pull a gun and shoot him, and then he'll just look at the rest, and the rest of the bodyguards will just look at him in shock for about three seconds, and they'll all pull their guns and just start loading the entire clip into Trump's dead body. They'll just be like, yeah. They'll pull their yeah. cocks out, piss on him, set it on fire. <laughs> They'll be like, oh, it feels so good. Feels so oh. good to get it out. I've been holding this <laughs> in for a year. Oh, oh. man. Oh. Oh. oh, You know we're all going to jail, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But come on. It was worth it's it. Worth oh, it. fuck. It was worth it. It was yeah. worth it. Oh, my God. Yeah. I wish you had told me I would have brought some Vaseline and jerked off on him. I wish you had told me. <laughs> Let's just fuck the holes. Like, you know, it's... Uh... Anyway, where was I? Oh, yes, he's I lost no his idea. bodyguards. <laughs> yeah, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, if they let me into your country two weeks from now, I will be amazed. Let's just hope to fuck they don't listen to this episode. No one tell them. Yeah. You gotta hold this episode back actually. Yeah, Let's not put it out there until I yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Good plan. Good plan. I'm thinking about pulling all of my shit offline uh before I go. Like take down all the podcasts, all the it's probably oh. up and 
the NSA's got it all. What am I? Who am I kidding? Yeah. So they're, Church- they're, they're laughing. They're enjoying it. Churchill drove down to Chequers, the uh, uh-huh. country estate uh, of the Prime Minister, for a fin- one final weekend of uh, shaving his little fat body, lathering up, and uh, you know, sliding around on the uh, kitchen room floor. He wrote in the in the the guest book. He wrote Finny, F I N I S, Finnish. Better much Lat- Latin Finny. Yeah. Is it French? Might be French. French. Yeah, probably. You won't have Churchill to cook around anymore. Yeah. Um, And when the Japanese surrendered in August, which we'll get to in a couple of episodes, no one even asked Churchill to give a speech. Damn. Um, he led the country all those years during the war. When the when the actual war, like the, the World War Two, not just the European front, but when yeah. World War Two is actually over, no one asked Churchill for a comment. <laughs> Damn! Oh. That's the time you want him because he could give a great speech. No one even asked. No one even cared what he thought. I bet. Like I bet you was sitting at home. That day, and Clementine was going. Let, let's let's go for lunch. No, no, I have to. I have to wait. They will be calling any minute for me to give <laughs> a comment. Phone will ring. The phone will ring. They will ask me. I'm absolutely <laughs> certain. All right, that was my final Churchill. Not that la- I know. I said the last one was, but that that was my. Fuck it. I'm just going to keep doing. I'm going to do Atlee yeah, as Churchill because yeah. I'm not giving that shit up. I, I spent. I spent. <laughs> that will be confusing. I've spent two years perfecting that. I'm not. I'm not giving that up. Yeah. Um, it's perfect. Yeah. It's funny, again, I was watching this Gary Oldman interview and um, he was saying when they first brought him the the script and offered it to him, he said, he turned it down. He said, look, I, I can't I can't do Churchill. I look nothing like him. I, I, I can't do it. It's too big a, he's the most, I mean, whether or not he's the most important Briton, he's the most famous Briton probably in terms of personality yeah. and voice. I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. He rejected it. He said, I can't do it. He said, but immediately after he rejected it, he started thinking, well, how would I do it if I had to do it? And he went and recorded some of his Churchill speeches on his iPhone and started walking around the house sort of practicing, oh <laughs> trying to do the voice. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I didn't have to do that, motherfucker. I just, I just boom, into it. Just, natural. Just... <laughs> you're, a, you're a better actor oh, than he is. Then Gary, fuck, Gary Oldman can lick my nuts, man. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm so much a better actor than Gary Oldman. <laughs> and it's all natural. It's oh, all natural. I don't even have to try. I like Matthew McConaughey, man. They just came to me and said, "Hey, will you be a star?" I said, "Yeah." Oh, like Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> have you seen? Have you seen the room yet? Please tell me you've seen the room. No. Oh fuck no, it. No, Look, no. You don't even have a job anymore. Just watch the room. <laughs> Find it on YouTube. Watch the full the room. Because uh, right. like Tommy Wiseau is is my ultimate hero now. But I, I was watching. I know this is completely sorry, folks. And Ray might edit this out. I mean, who fuck knows what he's editing out these days. But I watched an interview with Seth Rogen the other day. He was talking about Tommy. And he said, like, Seth Rogen said, you know, I I played Steve Wozniak in a movie about Apple. And Wozniak, the guy who literally invented the uh, personal computer, was shocked Mm -hmm. that we were making a movie about him. He was excited. He couldn't believe it. Tommy Wiseau... Absolutely, not only uh, is absolutely expected that someone would make a movie about him, um, he's disappointed that Johnny Depp's not playing him and that it wasn't made <laughs> five years ago. Oh, of course you make a movie about me. I tell me why so. I'm the greatest filmmaker ever. Why you not make a movie about me earlier? Why why Johnny Depp not cast? We're in a trilogy. 
Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know how I got it. Oh, that's a bit like me. I am like Tommy Wiseau. That's why I'm comparing myself right. to Tommy Wiseau now. That's how low sure. I've fallen. Um, Churchill told Lord Moran, <laughs> it would have been better. <laughs> I can't do it. I'm going to laugh now. It would have been better to have been killed in an aeroplane or to have died like Roosevelt. Yeah, oh, you think tech. so, but <laughs> then you wouldn't have got to write his, write your own version of history with Barry right. and Stan. Right. What do you reckon yeah. Barry and Stan's Stan agency called? Just Ban Starry? Or Stan Barry? Barry Stan? Or Barry Stan? That's pretty good. It sounds like a post-Soviet Union. Yeah. You know, you got yeah. your Uzbekistan. You got your uh, <laughs> Azbekistan. Uh, right. And you've got your Barian Stan, which is they've got a whole country when because they did such a good job for Stalin. We bought a country when they when they came up with Stalingrad. He was so happy with that that he said, "Look, no, they just give him a country." When he was breaking up the Soviet Union, he just said, "Look, peace for you." In fact, you. the reason all those other countries are called Stan right? is because this he is, engaged these his- guys to to come up with the names for it. <laughs> and by that stage, Barry, I think, had retired, and so yeah, it was. It was, just, Stan. It was yeah, Stan was like, well, you know, it could be Uzbekanople, uh, <laughs> but or Uzbekagrad, but no, no, it's Uzbekistan. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As, as, Azerbaijan, Stan, Azerbaijan. Oh. Anyway, I don't know. Fuck it. What am I talking about? I'm only hour one, and I'm already talking bullshit. Um, yes. So the king. <laughs> The king, somewhere around here, uh, announced he was awarding Anthony Eden the Order of the Garter, uh-huh. which sounds very fucking girly. Isn't a garter something women put around their thigh to keep their it, stockings It is in this up? country. Yeah. Well, maybe Anthony Eden liked to wear stockings, and who are we to judge? No, There's not nothing, us. nothing wrong with dressing up in women's clothing in the, in the, in the privacy of your own home, uh, if it makes you yeah. feel comfortable. Nothing to do with me. Uh, you know right. what you do. Be the king of your castle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Master of your Hold domain. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Hold on. Hey, George. Hi. Hi. What's the matter? My mother caught me. Caught you doing what? You know. I was alone. You mean she got you? Where? I stopped by the house to drop the car off, and I went inside for a few minutes. Nobody was there. They're supposed to be working. My mother had a glamour magazine. I started leaving. <laughs> oh, it's happened to all of us, my friend. Uh, where were we? Oh, yeah, so the Order of the Garter, Eden yeah. replied that he couldn't accept it because the British people had just given him the Order of the Boot. Boom, boom. Yeah, nice one. Eden, he's up for the gags, man. 
<laughs> we should get him on the show. He's a very funny motherfucker. We should. Yeah. yeah. Might have slowed down by now, but yeah. Um, Ernest Bevan, uh, who is one of Clement Attlee's inner circle, the Labour Party, told Eden that he would uh, he wanted to become the Chancellor of the Exchequer in the new mm-hmm. government, which is basically the Treasurer. Eden said, whatever for? There will be nothing to do there except account for the money we have not got. Um, so I think that, I mean, yeah, I mean, Churchill and Eden probably thought they were going to be there to manage the fucking disaster that the United Kingdom was in. Um, they may have felt a little bit sheepish about the fact that they were not only handling, handing over this, this global problem of uh, what do we do after the war, but also the, the problem back at home, they were broke. Yeah, that should make the job of watching it a little easier. There's nothing to watch. So Eden suggested Bevan instead become the foreign minister uh, because he was the only Labor politician qualified for that role, really, right. and uh, Bevan did. Yes. But then the Labor new Labor leadership only had 48 hours <laughs> to govern before <laughs> the new PM and the new FM uh, had to return to Potsdam. So Attlee had time to make just six political appointments and then they went back to Berlin. That must have been a really interesting conversation between the two on the way back, looking at each other. What the fuck? What are we going to do? You know, that kind of thing. Um, but like you said earlier... <laughs> Which is a... It's a bit like... Yeah. It's a bit like Trump after the election, according to Michael Wolff's new book. Yes. According to, according to Michael Wolff's new book... Again, based on, I think, 200 interviews he did in the White House over the last year, Trump wanted to lose, expected to lose. The whole plan was to lose. The whole plan was to lose. He'd be famous, even more famous. Yeah, Yeah, Billy Sprandy was going to start a television news network with Roger Ailes. Uh, Everyone on the Trump team, including Trump, was shocked and horrified when he won. (laughs) Melania was apparently in tears. Uh, Trump looked like he'd seen a ghost. No one, yeah. even they, could believe it. And we still can't to this day. Yeah. Do you, do you remember seeing Trump's face after talking to Obama and then they came out and sat down on the chairs? He just looked like he was absolutely depressed. Over. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, phased. Yeah. 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 Have you seen season 20 of South Park? Uh, Mr. Garrison no. is running for president against oh Hillary Clinton. And it's called no. uh, Giant Douchebag versus the Turd Sandwich. And this is great. <laughs> It's this great scene where Mr. Garrison realizes that, look, I have no, I've got no idea what I'm doing. I didn't expect to get this fast. It's ridiculous. This was just a joke. Um, it's because he's been going out and just saying completely offensive things all the time, and people keep cheering and chanting and, and uh, voting for him. So <laughs> he has a televised debate with Hillary Clinton. Um, and he says, before he goes in, he says, look, I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to tell people I don't know what I'm doing. They, they can't vote for me. Hillary Clinton's team says to her, listen, whatever, you, whatever he says, he's going to go after you. Whatever he says, you just reply, my opponent is a liar and you can't trust anything he says. <laughs> so Garrison goes up and he says, listen, you shouldn't vote for me. I don't have any policies. I don't know what I'm doing. I, I never expected to get this far. It's just a bad joke. Please don't vote for me. I'm a terrible human being. Uh, and and vote for this woman. She deserves the job. Hillary says, my opponent is a liar and you can't trust anything he says. He says, no, no, no. Listen to what I'm saying. I don't want this. I don't want the job. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm an idiot. I'm incompetent. 
And she goes, my opponent is a liar and you can't trust anything he says. And the audience is cheering for him all the time and he goes from strength to strength. And it's like, yeah, fucking that's pretty much pretty much pretty what much happened. Strong. Giant yeah. douche versus a turd sandwich. That was the election, oh, man. Anyway, where were we? Up. Yeah, oh, I have um, no idea. Yeah, no, back to, uh, back to, to, to the repercussions of the election. So... Uh, oh, you know, we've sort of talked about the fact that no, no one had much of a high opinion of Clement Attlee. I don't think even Clement Attlee had a very high opinion right. of himself. Um, Cadogan, again, remarked that with Attlee representing Britain, the big three should now be called the big two and a half. <laughs> that's that's got to hurt. Come on. He's a good guy. He's got it where it counts. How long before Candy and her lawyer come back from Mexico? Three more days. Oh, God. What are you feeding that dog? It's not the dog. It smells a little like <laughs> banana bread. Yeah, two and a half men. That was uh, that show, and a lot of people don't know this, is actually based on the Potsdam Conference. Uh, <clears throat> Charlie Sheen, obviously, is um, Truman. Um, right. The other guy uh, is John Cryer, is, 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 is uh, well, I guess that makes him Stalin. <laughs> and the little kid is Clement Alley. Um, right. Cardigan, also, Cardigan, I wonder if he liked to wear cardigans, Mr. Cardigan. Probably. They all They'd did. say, uh, whose cardigan is that? Is that Cardigan's cardigan? They go, yeah, it is Cardigan's cardigan. <laughs> Oh, there's a rom-com in there somewhere. He um, <laughs> described the villa that Attlee was staying at in Babelsberg as a drab and dreary little building, very suitable. It's just like Attlee himself. <laughs> oh, oh, oh you did unkind. not. You did not. Uh-uh, honey. Oh, God. Um, but to help him along at Potsdam, every member of the British delegation except Churchill and Eden went back to Potsdam with Attlee so they would have some continuity in policy. That's fair. That's, that's nice. And they're going to need all the help they can possibly get. They were not going to go, but then somebody handed out Ray and Cam D-back stickers to all of them, and they went, oh, okay. Oh, I'm there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Now, Truman, uh, Truman's view on Attlee and Bevan uh, seems a little bit mixed. I mean, I think... On one hand, he thought they were a couple of guys like him, relatively new to the job, so that's right. good. He's he's not the he's not the new guy anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what it's like when you, you go to a new place of work and you're the new person, and yeah. there's all these clicks. Everyone has these in jokes. Everyone seems to know what's going on. You don't know what's going on. You're brand new. You're just <coughs> trying to get your feet under you. People, you know, you, you kind of feel like a bit of a schmuck. A couple of months right. later, another new person starts, and you're like, oh, I'm not the new guy anymore. I'm, oh, Ooh, I've been here. Thank yeah. goodness. That was true, but he's like, oh, man, I've been here for a whole week. I know what's going on. <laughs> um, and, and they weren't upper-class pompous snobs like Churchill and Eden. I think Truman would have liked that because he was a working-class Joe. Yeah. yeah. As was Stalin. So now we have three genuine working-class uh, big, big two and a half guys here. Right. Well, the the other thing was that Truman had dealt with uh, straight talkers 
you know, way, way back in Missouri in the Senate and stuff like that. And he appreciated that about Bevin, even though Bevin was a big, giant, 250-pound bear of a man. I mean, he was a pretty pretty much straight talker, um, and Truman could could appreciate that. And let's, let's be completely honest for a second. Nobody was missing Churchill's speeches, because I think we said in the last episode that there would be a question— Stalin and Truman would vote one way. Churchill didn't want to. He would speak for 30 minutes and then go along with him anyway, even to the point where Stalin would cut him off and say, look, you know you're going to vote with us. Just quit talking. So I don't think anybody missed um, Churchill's speeches. And that was certainly one thing that uh, Truman liked because they could get a lot more done, not wasting all that time. Yeah. And Attlee wasn't one for giving big speeches. Right. So now they can get down to business. But I think, on the other hand, Attlee's was sort of sad to see Churchill go. I think he felt a bit sorry for him. He wrote mm-hmm. to his mother and sister, it may turn out to be all right for the world uh, because he thought he could get some shit done now that Churchill right. was gone. But, and, of course, the fundamental positions uh, under uh, uh, Attlee and Bevan didn't change dramatically from what they had been the British position under Churchill in the same way that when Truman came in, the American position didn't really change. Uh, right. Britain was still where Churchill left it, broke, a spent <laughs> force, yeah. and desperately trying to figure out how to keep their empire intact uh, after the smoke cleared. Yeah. Trying to make the United States its BFF, and Truman wasn't having any of it. Yeah. A Life magazine portrait of Clement Attlee at the time described him as resembling a harassed shopkeeper or an absent-minded <laughs> professor. Wow. That's, that's inspiring. I am the leader. I am the leader of this country. I mean, they can't talk to him about, but obviously they are because they feel safe to disparage him. But again, I don't care who you are, because we've talked about in the previous episode, Attlee had his finger in a lot of different parts of the government during the war. He knows where the, the, the bodies are buried. This guy knows what he's doing. But when when you fill the shoes of someone like Churchill, who at the very least is bombastic, you cannot help but fall short in comparison. Don't make me play Mr. Bombastic again. I have to do that every time you use that word, man. Just don't, don't tempt me like that. Don't make me play I'm- bombastic. Uh, Mr. Bombastic. Uh, Life magazine referred to Ernest Bevan, the new foreign minister, as bulldogish, blustering, often boastful, and egotistical. The three Bs and an E. Yeah, which is my favourite R&B group from the 60s as well, (laughs) coincidentally. Now, (laughs) when Attlee got back to Potsdam, Stalin apparently told Truman that, Wodka, Wodka, judging from the expression on Attlee's face... He does not seem too happy to be taking over British government. Yet. Yet. Not happy, yeah. yet. Yeah. Um, so, what happened at the rest of the Potsdam conference? Well, I would get into it, but we're nearly at an hour, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, do I have time to get into it? Probably not. Oh, I do. I'll get a, can we, we'll do it quickly. Let's do it quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Germany. Um... Germany, one thing they did agree on at Potsdam was that the war crimes trials for the Nazis would be held in Nuremberg, obviously Mm -hmm. the place where there had been Nazi rallies in the 20s and 30s. So there's a lot of symbolism there, the the, the place designed, built by Albert Speer, where there had been these great Nazi rallies, was now going to be the scene of the... uh, 
the very public trials of the Nazi leadership. But uh, there was a bunch of questions that needed to be sorted out, Ray, about the, yeah. the, the, how the Nuremberg trials were going to be run. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. So uh, Eden had given Churchill a list of 10 names uh, for prosecution. Obviously, there's a lot more than 10 people responsible for all the war crimes that have gone on in Germany. So they are going to perse- they are going to try those people, but there's going to be more added. But again, it's like, how do you do it? How do you, how do you come up with the, uh, the configuration of the judges, who's going to be on the jury, that kind of thing? So there's a lot to work out. But the fact that they're Doing it in Nuremberg is pretty much showing the denazification of Germany as they purge it of these Nazi leaders. And uh, again, that was probably the best thing to do from from several different points of view. Yeah, of course, one of the issues they needed to sort out was how many people do you put on trial? Obviously, yeah. the, 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 the SS, thousands and thousands of people. Nazi right. political and military leadership, thousands and thousands of people. Camp runners, I mean, do you, yeah. Do you put them all on trial? If not, why not? How many do you put on trial? Where do you draw the line? I mean, it's it's a it's a big issue to try and yeah. resolve. Um, if they put too many on trial, it just looks like a brutal occupation of victors who are out for revenge, bloodlust. Right. Yeah. Um, and the Allies needed people <laughs> to be there yeah. to, to run Germany and their Germany's industry after the war. So if you kill too many people, who's going to run the place when you right. leave? If you, kill too f- if, if you put on trial too few people, then people with blood on their hands are going to walk free. So, right. you know, it's, uh, it's a tough problem. Now, as you said... Churchill and Eden had a list of 10 names. They were Luftwaffe Commander Hermann Goering, Foreign Minister Joachim von Ribbentrop, former Deputy Fuhrer Rudolf Hess, who, as we know, had been in British custody since he crash-landed in Scotland back in 1941, Robert Ley, who headed the Nazi labour organisation Deutsche Arbeitsfront, Wilhelm Frick, the chief author of the Nuremberg Laws, Wilhelm Keitel, Harvey Keitel's great-grandfather, uh, <laughs> Hitler's, Hitler's senior military advisor, right. uh, Alfred, Alfred Rosenberg, the guy who came up with you know, much of the uh, ideology of the Nazi party, right. uh, the leader of the SS, Ernst Kaltenbrunner, uh, <laughs> the, the propaganda uh, author, Julius Streicher, um, went on to become number two of the USS uh, Enterprise. Um, <laughs> and Hans Frank, the Nazi governor of Poland. And uh, do you know why he had that name, Ray? Hans Frank? Yeah. Because he was very frank? Very frank. He always said exactly what he was thinking. <laughs> Just like... <laughs> His relatives, two thousand years ago. In, I don't even know. Uh, was, that, was that was that Constantine who we doing that? Was it Augustus? Right. No, I think <laughs> it was Augustus. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, um, of course, Hitler, Himmler, uh, Bergdorf, Hans Krebs, and Goebbels were already dead from yeah. suicide. At least they hoped Hitler was. No one yeah. had proof. Fingers crossed. Stalin, and he wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't letting on. Now. 
Stalin, of course, thought this list was way too small. He wanted a lot more people on this list. He didn't give a shit about running industry afterwards. He'd have them. He goes, oh, please, I had more of my own people killed in a weekend. If they <laughs> looked right. at me, if they didn't get on board with my five-year plan, I had them killed. Like, what are you talking about? This is That's yeah. not a trial. That's that's not even a trial trial. I've, tri- I've had, trial. I've had fucking weekend barbecues where I've killed more people than that. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's, Besides, oh, you people make me sick. Besides, you don't have to worry about running industry after they leave because he's going to take it all. So there's nothing <laughs> yeah. left to run, so don't yeah. worry about it. I've got this figured out. <laughs> That's not a knife. This is a knife. Um, <clears throat> now, he also wanted the British to send Hess to Russia for trial, yeah. and he even offered to pay for it. I love that. Yeah. Like, look, if it's a question of money, and I know you're broke, and you go, <laughs> if you can't afford the airfare, I'll pay for the airfare. Um, he just thought they were treating him too leniently. Remember, folks, that back in 1941, Hess had flown to Scotland uh, supposedly to negotiate a deal on behalf of Hitler. Hitler denied it, uh, particularly after Hess was thrown in prison. Um, but anyway, he didn't. Stalin didn't get his hands on Hess. Uh, Hess yeah. ended up in Spandau, I think. But yeah. in the end, the British won the argument about keeping the numbers low. The total was 24 men, all of which, except three, ended up receiving either the death sentence or a long prison sentence. And we'll we'll cover the Nuremberg trials, obviously, in more detail later on. But I want to give a shout-out to listener Ulrich Hoxha. Mm -hmm. Did did you get a a package in the mail from Ulrich a few weeks ago? I don't remember. Right. I did. Um, I thought he was sending you something too, but maybe he didn't because, you know, you probably didn't reply to his email with your postal address (laughs) as you tend not to do. Um, Ulrich... Uh, is a fan of the show. He works at Nuremberg. In oh, yeah, the yeah, fucking... I got that. Okay, he's coming back now. Sorry. Got it. Fuck, yeah, because how many Germans uh, do you have sending you something related to Nuremberg, dude? Like, is this a daily uh, thing for you? Is it like you just... Hello, yeah. <laughs> hello, yeah. Ulrich works at uh, the Nuremberg, uh, like, museum, I guess, and um, uh, and he sent us, yeah, he sent us this pack of stuff. It's like a... The, the official catalogue. I've got it right here. Hold on, hold on. Pull it off my shelf. The, uh, the uh, Memoriam Nuremberg Trials Exhibition. The catalogue of an exhibition of uh, the Nuremberg Trials, basically. Um, beautiful catalogue. Lots of shit going on in there. Lots of great photos, background on everything. Yeah, lovely. And and also a thing on the, the, the uh, like a, a brochure of the former rally, Nazi rally grounds and... Mm-hmm. And a lovely letter. A lovely letter. Let me read, let me read this letter. I'm going to read this letter. Um, uh, la, la, la. So I'll just read the end of the letter because it's the good bit. Suffice to say, your podcasts are a constant source of joy, entertainment, food for thought, and education. There you go. Lovely. Lovely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Ulrich. Much appreciated. And um, Danke. If I can help with setting up your new MacBook, let me know and... We should send him a thank you gift. We'll send him a thank you gift. We'll say we'll, 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 we'll get something to you, Ulrich. Yeah. Someone remind me to do that. Uh, anywho, that's Nuremberg. Now, suffice to say that the Nuremberg trials were, were a milestone in the treatment of human war crimes on the international stage. It wasn't the first time it had been tried. They tried it after World War I, didn't really work. 
They tried it uh, again here, worked a little bit more, but that kind of led to, you know, the development of the Geneva Conventions and the International Criminal Court and war crimes trials and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I just thought... I just want to throw this out real quick. Um, Stalin could not help but taking a swipe at Churchill when he was talking to him about Hess. He said, I'm even willing to pay his, and he used the, the Russian equivalent of hotel bill, if you'll turn him over to me. So basically saying, no, you're not putting him in prison. You're not treating him bad enough. Uh, he was you know, taking a swipe at him. So again, I thought, I thought that was uh, typical of uh, Stalin to be able to bitch slap Churchill whenever he got the chance. And I just wanted to mention, um, there's a really good book called The Nazi and the Psychiatrist by Jack L. High, where the Germans, before they were tried, and, and most of them were hung, uh, they had to be examined, they had to be uh, had to have a psychological workup. And the American psychiatrist who got Gehring over time fell under his charm and sway and was able to uh, to justify himself to this American. So this guy was a professional, but Gehring was so charming, he was able to work on him over the months that they were together. And of course, Gehring is able to sneak in some uh, some something to kill himself so he wouldn't be hung. But again, these guys, they might have been bloodthirsty, but just picture them before the war, before the war breaks out. These guys in their immaculate uniforms uh, made by Hugo Boss. Some of them were very charming, very intelligent, very good speakers, and they were able to sway a lot of people to their sides. And that's you know something you've got to look for because even the bad guys can get dressed up and speak nice. Well, that is actually one of the characteristics of psychopaths is they are very charming. Mm. They learn very early on because their empathy, they don't have an empathy center, right? They, 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 don't actually, they don't know how to relate to people on an emotional level because that part of their brain right. is broken. So they, they have to learn to fake it. The successful ones learn mm. very early on as children how to fake the emotions that, to show people what they want to see. Right. So they tend to become yeah. they tend to become very good at being able to charm people around them. In fact, you meet someone who's extremely charming and suave, and uh, hmm. yeah, pretty pretty much guarantee they're a psychopath. Because right. the rest of us aren't like that. The rest of us are, um, you know, we're a little bit more yeah. raw, a bit real. Tell you go fuck yourself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's how you know. See, a lot of people think I'm a psychopath. And I go, I'm too, right. I'm too rude yeah. to be a psychopath. Too, if I was a psychopath, yeah. I wouldn't be so rude. Too rude and real. Got it. Got it. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> yes. So moving on uh, to high-level cover what they talked about in Germany, the, the issue of reparations, of course, came up. Now, you might recall that in our 25 episodes of Yalta, uh, <laughs> we, we said that at the, at the end they came up with this final figure of $20 billion in reparations. Half of that was going to go to the Soviets, $10 billion. Everyone agreed on that. Soviets said, look, you know, the war's cost us $123 billion, or something like that, $128, $123, something like that. Right. $10 billion is nothing, everyone. Yeah, uh, whatever, that sounds fair. At Potsdam, the Americans went, nah, nah we're changing their mind. Yeah. You're not, you're not getting the money. And Stalin was like, what the fuck? D-back, Burns. <laughs> D-back, Truman. What the fuck? Um, now, the Americans' position on this is interesting. Um, Jimmy Burns argued that, well, well, since Yalta back in February, more than 4 million Germans had fled over the border uh, to, to the West Almost 800,000 of them had fled to the western-controlled zones of Berlin. So we're going to have to 
cover the costs of all of these people, and that's going to increase our costs of occupying the our zone by $1.5 billion. So, A, our costs have gone up. So, no, the deal's off the table. But secondly, he felt that the reparations plan was so harsh that uh, Germany would be broke uh, and Americans would have to take on the burden of supporting their zone, the Western American zone of Germany, uh, to keep people alive. And he's like, no, we're not doing that. So it's the whole fear of what happened after Versailles again and Treaty of Versailles. Uh, and so you can imagine that Stalin wasn't wasn't happy about that. They the Americans here have reneged on the spirit of Yalta. They keep complaining about Stalin reneging on the spirit of Yalta. Here mm-hmm. the Americans are doing the same thing. Well, I thought it was interesting because Burns, like you said, um, and we can't stress this enough, the ghost of Versailles was hanging over these guys, and they're like, whoa, whoa, after World War One. The United States demands that Britain and France pay back their loans, but America, after after the uh, economic crash, America is giving Germany uh, loans so it can pay its so it can pay its loans. So the point is, Britain gets weaker economically, France gets weaker economically, Germany gets stronger because America is underwriting the loans, and so it just cycled money and it hurt the wrong people and helped the wrong people. So we're not going to do that again. We're not going to take a whole bunch of money out of Germany that we're just going to have to pump back in to feed the people, or unless we're going to let millions and millions of people starve. Stalin would have been okay with that, but the British and the Americans could not go along with that. So like, we can't do that. But to make up for it, Burns had a brilliant idea as far as um, reparations and as far as zones of occupations. He put the two together and he said, you do what you want in your zone. That way we still work together as an occupying force, but each country can do what it wants considering uh, reparations in its own zone. So if you do one thing and we do something else, Everybody gets to decide for themselves, and that's the best idea we can come up with. And that was well-received at Potsdam on July 23rd with the Council of the Foreign Ministers. So Burns put his foot down by saying no on the reparations, but here's a way to get get around it if you so choose. And, of course, the Americans and even the British could afford to reduce or even completely waive reparations for their zones – I mean, the, the Americans didn't need the money, really. They were the economic yeah. superpower now, the only one left standing. British right. kind of needed the money. They were broke. But as we've explained previously, the British were counting on a strong German economy to, so they could get back to exporting yeah. uh, their, their manufacturing output to Germany. So that's what they were mostly interested in. We want to sell us because I think exports to Germany were – something like 10 or 15% of the British economy before the war. So um, they wanted to get back to that. Now, uh, the, the the Soviets were relatively happy with this. Um, they could just uh, take as much as they wanted now out of their zone. But mm-hmm. 81% of German coal and 86% of German steel production sat in the Western zones. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I would, if Stalin would have been like, yeah, fuck this. What, what have I got? What am I getting? What am yeah. I getting with my zone? Bunch of farms. Farms are no good. <laughs> well, it's food, I guess. Yeah. But but he is getting the tacit 
um, go ahead from the Western powers to rape East Germany and everything that he's in control of, um, obviously uh, beyond that to the East. Uh, and the Americans and the British aren't going to say anything. So it's not the best deal because everything's in the Ruhr Valley in the West, like you said. But he, he does have their permission to rape the place. And the Russians very systematically do exactly that. Yeah. I always laugh when people uh, start comparing East and West Germany and and the econ- you know the look at oh fucking look at how fast the West recovered economically. That's that's the strength of capitalism. Like <laughs> motherfucker, Stalin didn't want the East to recover. That was the entire point. <laughs> yeah, he wanted them weak. Beat them down. Yeah, yeah, he didn't want them to recover. Uh, people ever. don't get that 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 was the fundamental yeah ever that was the <laughs> Stalin's fundamental plan was crush Germany forever fuck them motherfuckers he didn't yeah. want a re- German recovery but the the West obviously did um, also one thing that he had managed to do though before all of this went down is Stalin had been able to steal all of the scientific data relating to the V1 and V2 rocket programs, Uh all of the scientific material from the military laboratories in Berlin, and what remained of the scientific research uh, plants at Berlin's universities and institutes. So he had had got some stuff that was going to become useful. Of course, the the Americans managed to get their hands on Nazi von Braun, but uh, again, more of that in later episodes. Uh, The Allies issued a statement uh, about their occupation of Germany at this point, um, which was uh, not the three Ds in an E. This was the six Ds, my other uh, favourite R&B group from the 60s. Demilitarisation, denazification, democratisation, Decentralization, dismantling, and decartelization. <laughs> All wrapped up D back. <laughs> yeah, they should have just said D back. That's our policy. One D. The one D policy. Just D back. Germany? A big D. Massive D. Uh, All right. How are we going for time? Oh, fuck. Um, now, let's just cover I- Poland. I just want to mention something real quick. Uh, Truman, and there's a whole bunch of racism going on that we may or may not get to during Potsdam, but Truman called the Russians natural looters. Russians are, had mastered the art of stealing the coffin and disposing of the body. Stimson was even worse, saying it was this whole stuff that the Soviet policy of looting was a part of their or, or oriental nature. So again, and, and we'll get into some of the other stuff, but there's not too many non-whites at this point this uh this uh meeting and again that was intentional little did truman know stalin had actually stolen hitler's body as well he didn't (laughs) he didn't dispose of the body well he did but he knew where it was so yeah he knew yeah yeah now just to wrap up uh, about poland between the altar conference and the potsdam conference the soviets had obviously tightened their control over poland Mm -hmm. and Burns and Truman, the new guys, realised, as Roosevelt had realised before them, that there's very little that the Western allies can do about that without risking a major confrontation with the Soviets. They can rant and bitch and moan all they like. Stalin, Molotov aren't given a fucking inch when it comes to Poland (laughs) because, A, they hate the Poles because of what happened after the the revolution. Um, B... uh, uh, my mother, by the way, was at Bundaberg over Christmas. 
my mother's getting into family tree stuff and and right. her her great grandmother was Polish and and came to Australia from Poland so mum's been digging in and she said to me did you know that there's a very little known war between the Polish and the Russians in 1919 <laughs> like just after World War 1 really going, really yeah, Tell mom, me about um, it. I do this fucking podcast. Don't know if you've heard of it, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I do a fucking podcast about it, motherfucker. Hello? Call yourself my mother. Anyway. Um, yeah, so they won't give it an inch. And, um, and, and as we've seen before, the Western allies had already agreed in principle to the Soviets designing of the new Polish government is basically going to be the pro-Soviet Lublin Poles with a few hand-pooked, hand-pooked? Yeah, hand-pooked <laughs> and hand-picked uh, London Poles just for good optics. Right. What Admiral, Admiral Lee called the an external appearance of Polish independence. Yeah. Now, you, just, you have to give Churchill credit where credit's due, even though it was a lost cause, because FDR back in Tehran had already agreed on the Curzon line, so there's one border right there. Churchill does stand up and challenges Stalin by saying that Britain had a right uh, to say something about Poland's future based on the 120 million pounds that Britain had spent on Poland. But Stalin pretty much slams him down by saying um, foreign rulers who had shown the British the base ingratitude that the Polish government in exile in London had shown towards such generous benefactors ought to be deprived of any voice in their own future. And for once, Churchill had absolutely no response to that. And like you said, it's a done deal. They have... I think it was at Stimson. I think it was Stimson that said, look, they, they own the place. They're in charge of the place. Whatever they say goes, unless we want to start a war. And, of course, that's not what Potsdam's all about. So, again, they're going to bitch and moan and rattle their saber, but they're going to go along with it. So, uh, yeah. Now, um, the whole Potsdam thing, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's never going to change in Stalin's view. Right. He told he told Harry Hopkins when they met back in May that if not for the Red Army's great loss of life in liberating Poland, nobody would be talking about Ooh. a new Poland in 1945 or ever. Mic drop. It's like yeah, it's like he's got a point. <laughs> got a, can't yeah. guess, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was it was uh, Secretary of War Stimson that said the Russians with their possession have 99 and 44 one hundredths percent of the law. So, yeah, it's pretty much done. And you will not be surprised to hear that after it's all said and done. 17 of the 21 cabinet positions went to the communists linked to the Lublin committee. So, like you said, this this was never an issue for, for Stalin at all. And he does get his way. And the West know that the only way they can change it is if they're willing to go to war. And, of course, Course they're not. But unlike Roosevelt, Truman was willing to have the London polls represented at Potsdam. He sat down and said, sure, we can give them some time. How long are we going to be here for? But, uh, <laughs> That's right. Three weeks? We're going to be here for three weeks? Okay, uh, let's see. Let's give them, oh, what do you reckon, 20 minutes? Yeah. 25. All right, 25 minutes. That's, that's what they got. Uh, mostly spent introducing themselves, and that was it. It was like, well, lovely of you to come all the way. Thank you very much. Lovely to meet you. Yeah. 
Uh, we'll be in touch. Uh, don't call us, we'll call you. Yeah. Churchill, because this happened when Churchill was still PM, Churchill refused to meet with them at all at Potsdam. Mm. Oh, I get to do more Churchill. Yes. I'm sick of the bloody polls. I don't want to see them, was apparently Churchill's response. Right. So as we can see, nobody fucking likes the polls. <laughs> no. no. And I can say that as somebody who's half Polish myself. Yeah, oh, nobody fucking likes nobody fucking likes the polls. <laughs> but uh, the West has a cunning plan, even though they can't affect things militarily. One, hopefully, there's the results of this free election that's coming up really soon is going to fix things. And two, the United States plans on using economic means like loans and trade to try and influence Poland. So not everything is lost. America still has a chance to get a toe in in the door. By the time of Potsdam, Russia had already taken over that part of Germany, the territory between the Curzon line and the oder Nysa mm-hmm. river line, uh, and it handed over to their new Polish government. So already German language newspapers had disappeared, Polish flags flew over the public buildings, signs changed from German to Polish place names, and, and Poles took possession of all of the German homes. And Stalin announced that because this territory was now part of Poland, right. not part of Germany, it was exempt from any reparations that the Ooh. Allies might bro. want. Turns out they didn't want any anyway, so it was a moot point. But still, bro. Uh, and the one thing he did get hold of there, even though, as uh, I said before, 81% of their coal, uh, German coal, was in the western zone, there was coal fields in Silesia, right. uh, which were now going to the new Polish government uh, and, and then from them through to the Soviet <laughs> Union instead of going to the British or Americans via reparations. Yeah. And, and, and this is how you can tell who's really in charge. The Stalin has a Lublin government issue new currency. So suddenly, not only do they control the government, but unless you have the right kind of money, you don't have money. So that's that's another strong indication of who's really running the country now. So that is where we will wrap up this one hour and 20 minute episode. That's Germany and Poland at Potsdam. Next, we're going to get on to what they talked about regarding Japan. And that'll be next time. Uh, I'd like to read out a new review, except we don't have any new oh, reviews. Sons of bitches. Sorry. I think, I don't know, maybe the coffee mug is wearing off. Maybe we need just a new, some new D-back stuff or a T-shirt. Um, yeah. Tell us us what you need. Yeah. A photo of Ray's hairy nutsack. Tell us what you need. I got it ready. To be motivated to get back to writing us reviews, you lazy, lazy (laughs) fucking people. Happy New Um, Year. Takes two minutes, people, seriously. Just jump up to the website. Right. Click, click, click. Click through to iTunes, write a review. These guys are fucking awesome. You just give yeah. me your iTunes login details. I'll do it myself. <laughs> That's all you have to do. Like, just email me your iTunes login details. I'll take care of it for you. An iron curtain has descended across the continent. military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere.